for you. And as Charlene said, I've uh, been pastoring in, always in the Maritimes. And it's a, it's a pleasure to be here this morning. Uh, we moved here two years ago, this coming September. And uh, my wife is with me this morning. So we are glad to be a part of, of, of Glad Tidings Church. And am I fading in and out there, or am I okay? I'm okay. I'll take my hand out of my pocket, which is where the, the aerial is. So, uh, we have, For those of you that may not know, I, uh, we have three children. We've got four grandchildren. Uh, two of our children are in, are in ministry. The third one is in ministry, but she's the, uh, also a pharmacy tech, and so she just leads the children's program in Perth, Ontario. So we're very, very pleased with what God is doing with our, with our children and of how they've responded to the call of God in their own life, in their own hearts. The, uh, um, I'm away most Sundays. The first six or eight months or a year we were here most Sundays, but this past few months, we've uh, six months or so, we've been traveling, and, and most Sundays we're preaching somewhere else and doing pulpit supplies, so it's a different season. Uh, we were down in Bedford quite a bit this last uh, three or four months because my wife's mom just passed away a month ago. And she was 90 years of age when the Lord took her home. So she loved Jesus, saved when she was 18, lived for Jesus a long time, and she's now in his presence forever. So praise the Lord, amen? So we just are, but that's all a part of living, that's a part of life. So we're enjoying the season. It's a pleasure to be here this morning. Uh, we enjoy Glad Tidings Church. We enjoy this, this, this congregation, and uh, it's great to be here with listening to Pastor Paul and his ministry and Vanessa and, and Kristen and the worship team. It's, it's just great to be in the, in, uh, in the, as a part of your congregation and it's a privilege to be preaching here today. Um, there's a great staff in this church. We enjoy the presence of the Lord in the service. And this morning I just sat there or stood there and, and, uh, and just enjoyed the presence of Jesus, enjoyed the presence of the Holy Spirit. You know, isn't God good? Isn't God, are we reminded of the goodness of the Lord? You know, as we, as we come together, and uh, it's one thing to go into your prayer closet and spend time in the presence of God, but there's an effortlessness about coming into the house of God with other people where it seems like the presence of the Lord is multiplied and our, and our heart responds and our spirit responds and the Holy Spirit within us leaps and responds and we are able to lift our voices and our hearts and worship in adoration to him who is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So don't ever underestimate the value of worship. Don't underestimate the times of prayer. Don't underestimate the purpose of coming together in the house of the Lord and that we would worship God together or that our lives would be testimonies of worship day by day. We want to look at Revelation chapter 5 for a little bit this morning. Revelation chapter 5 is about worship in heaven. It's a worship service in heaven is what it really what, where, it, where it ends up. John was an observer of the throne room of God with heavenly beings in attendance, 24 elders, four living beings, and multitudes or millions of angels. Uh, if you want to turn your Bibles, I would invite you to do that. I, I didn't do a PowerPoint for us this morning, so if you have your Bible with you, turn to that in Revelation 5 and follow along. The uh, Revelation chapter 4 describes a magnificent sight. It talks about the throne of God, uh, the rainbow around the throne, the crystal floor in front, the flashes of lightning and the thunder, 
that emitted from the throne and around the throne. The, uh, just wow, it's a kaleidoscope of color and a symphony of sound. It's an awesome picture. If you read it and meditate on it and think about Revelation chapter 4, and the scene in chapter 4 of the throne room of God was spectacular in description. In chapter 5, it draws John into the experience of worshiping in the presence of God. And later it tells us, or earlier in that chapter, it tells us that John wept. Uh, we want to look at the sequence of events in chapter 5 and draw some lessons there this morning. It says in verse 1, it says, there I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. Let me read the first five verses. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals of the scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. And as one of the, but one of the 24 elders said to me, Stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir of David, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and, to, and, to, uh, and its seven seals. Um, we see that happening. We see the angels who, who gathered there and, and uh, calling for someone who was worthy to open the scroll. In the heaven and earth and under the earth they searched. It tells us in verse 3, there was no one there that was found worthy that was able to open the scroll. And in verse 4, it tells us that John, who was a, a, a spectator at this part of it, but he, begins, he gets involved. He said, I began in chapter 4, he was a spectator, but here in chapter 5, he said, I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and to use and to read it. I, I don't suspect that uh, John wept from simple disappointment that there was no one that was able to open the scroll, but uh, rather from the understanding of how his own nature, his own sinful nature kind of eliminated him and made him unworthy of opening the scroll. And so we, we find that this picture of, of John weeping, uh, John the Apostle as, as he's there at this, and is seeing the scene, is even a, is entering into the scene that's described in Revelation chapter 5. And uh, probably John's experience was the one who felt, I'm here, I'm so close, but I am so far away. I, I want to make a difference, but I'm powerless to do anything. I, I, can't, I can't volunteer myself, even though I see a great need that's in front of me. I'm so unworthy to reach out and touch God or to, or, or, or to open the scroll. And he says he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. Uh, we see there's an assurance that comes to the, uh, of the elder to John in verse 5. One of the 24 elders said to me, Stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir of David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. The lion of the tribe of Judah. The lion of the tribe of Judah. The heir of David's throne. That's, that's who the identifies the one who was able to open the scroll. Uh, we, we see that John the Apostle knew it was Jesus being described. Uh, that, that was a, not like a no-brainer for John. He knew right away uh, who it was. We, we, we look at that and we look at prophecies and understand that. Uh, but what, is, what has he done? What has this lion done? He's won the victory. The lion has won the victory, this lion of the tribe of Judah. Uh, it was a reference of Jesus, uh, the Calvary, his victory at Calvary. Uh, 
the resurrection. It's all a part of what he had done, living a sinless life. He offered himself as, as our substitute. He, he was who we could not be. Uh, we, we find that he is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. And, and John, uh, if you could picture with me, look to see this mighty victor. Uh, he, he wanted to see this magnificent warrior uh, of Revelation chapter 1 and verse 14. Maybe that's who he expected to see, the, uh, the, the, uh, uh, Christ with the, with the white hair and the eyes of fire and the, and the feet of burning bronze and the sash and the golden robe. And, and that's maybe what he wanted to see and what he expected to see. But, but we find that, that to see this Son of Man, God on display, the second person of the Holy Trinity, maybe that's who John expected to see. He says, to behold this conqueror of all evil and to see what perfection looked like. The elder identified the hero as the lion of the tribe of Judah. In Genesis 49, we read of how that, that prophesies a descendant of Judah will rule as a lion and all future nations will serve him. Our Isaiah 11 refers to this leader being an heir of David and, and this house of, of Jesse, worthy in character, victorious over sin, victorious over death, victorious over the devil, heir of the royal line of King David. He had authority and position. He was divinely exalted. All those things are a part and possible of what John was expecting to see when the angel or the elder told him and said, the lion of the tribe of Judah has come. He who is worthy to open the scroll has arrived. You know, he is an heir of David. And John was a, a, a Jewish apostle. He was an apostle of Christ. And he knew the Jewish history and the prophecies that were described that were there. And it, it tells us that in, in Philippians chapter, chapter 2 and verse 9, that God elevated him or exalted him to the place of highest honor and gave him a name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and tongue shall confess. John stopped his weeping. said all that to tell you that John stopped his weeping. He stopped crying. The elder brought good news. He stopped weeping. And it tells us that when John saw, was he looked to see this great lion of the tribe of Judah. But he didn't see a lion. He saw a lamb. It was mind-boggling. It was unexpected. He, he, uh, it was not a glowing, roaring lion like you might get on the Chronicles of Narnia that C.S. Lewis wrote or that we see pictured. You know, it was not the lion. It was a lamb. It was a lamb. Uh, verse 6, then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. John describes what he saw. He saw a slaughtered lamb. Bloodstains were visible marks of his execution and suffering were evident. Standing alive among the 24 elders. In history, we find that Israel looked for the lion hero to come and be their Messiah, to defeat the Romans, to restore them to the glory days of victory, such as King David had led Israel in. The, the, the people, the leaders in Israel, looked for a lion king. They looked for one who would defeat the Romans, who were the world conquerors. And when Jesus came, they were not prepared to welcome him because he did not fit what they expected. 
John saw not a lion, but he saw a lamb. He saw a lamb. And, and sometimes we look for the mighty hero. We look for a lion. We look for the powerful. We look for the supernaturally spectacular. We look for the pure-hearted heroes who will correct all the wrongs and establish a righteous society with absolute authority. There's something in us that looks for that. That's what we look for. That's what our culture looks for, partly as well, consciously or, or unconsciously. But they look for that, desiring that, as being the answer, the simple answer, all the wrongs, and establish a righteous society with absolute authority, where all the sick will be healed, where all unbelieving relatives will be one to the superhero lion of Judah, our Savior. And I prepared this message, and I'm singing, the lion of Judah shall break every chain. And I'm saying, oh, hallelujah. Thank God that he is the lion of Judah. Amen? But when I read this in Revelation, and I read of how that they were announcing the lion, and what God spoke into my heart was that when John wept because there was no one that was able to open the scroll, turned, and there was a lamb. There was a lamb. So I couldn't get away from the picture of the lamb. We look for a lion with John, but we see a blood-stained lamb. God's response to their expectations was to provide Jesus the lamb. He provided Jesus the lamb. When, John, when Jesus came to John the Baptist at the River Jordan, John declared, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. So somehow that lion and lamb become interchanged, they become exchanged or, they, or, or, or they substituted. There's a picture that, that the carnal mind cannot grasp and cannot, and cannot absorb. And I would suggest to you this morning that as the Church of Jesus Christ and as a pastor, many times we, are, we, we have expectations of, of the lion when God is calling us to recognize the need of the lamb. And, and God, help us, help us to understand. And where we're going to go this morning at the end of the service and with this message is simply in the end of this chapter where it tells us that they worship the Lord. They worship the Lord and said he was worthy. That's where this message needs to end up. But somehow, I would like to challenge our hearts to understand that in our own expectations of the lion and the spectacularly revealed supernatural absolute authority of a divine God, we lose sight of the lamb who was bloodstained, who was slaughtered, who took our place, who died on the cross of Calvary. And Jesus and God has not removed the significance of the lamb who was slaughtered from our church, from our, from our own experience, from our worship, from our walk with God, and from the need of this world to see and understand. And so we see the lion, but we also see the picture of the lamb. Today, man in his carnal, selfish sin looks for lion to solve world peace issues. They look for lion solutions without dealing with the sin, the roots of pride, of injustice, and a lust for power. Man today looks for the lion hero. They look for someone to correct world economic chaos produced by greed, 
without dealing with the greed issue. You know, they want to solve these things, but they really don't want to deal with the issues that are in, in, internal. There is a culture of entitlement that demands a solution. The world looks for success or blessing without work or sacrifice. The apostles' response in verse 4, when I began to weep bitterly, because no one was found worthy. But we find that when he turns and he saw the lamb, the call of this world is for a hero, a world-class superhero, a lion. Man calls for a lion hero. And he will come. He will be the Antichrist. He will come. That's what the world looks for. He looks for a lion hero. Too many goals of ordinary living have little to do with eternal values for us to, for, for that not to happen. Let, let's look at a story in 2 Kings. In 2 Kings chapter 5, we read the story of Naaman the leper. Now, Naaman the leper was, was a Syrian general, but it says he was a leper. Came to Elisha, and the story is, is there if you want to look it up and read it. The Jewish prophet looking for healing. He was seeking healing. And I want to read a couple of verses here. Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with a message, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River, then your skin will be restored and you will be treated or healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord for God to heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, Alma, and, 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 and Felpar better than any of the rivers of, of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. Interesting. Interesting story. Naaman expected a lion show. That's what he expected. He expected royal treatment. He was a general. Who did Elisha think he was? And so he said, but he was given the humble lamb treatment. He was given a serving of lamb, not of lion. Man set up his expectations for success. He wanted success without humility. He wanted healing without sacrifice. God has provided a bloodstained lamb as a sacrifice. But carnality or carnal man cannot receive a bloodstained lamb. They want a lion. Sadly, any lion will do, as long as it roars, as long as it makes lots of noise, and it, it looks impressive. You know, that's, that's sad. But we see that pride had to bow before he could be healed. When Naaman humbled himself and washed in the Jordan River, God healed him. Wow, isn't that amazing? Isn't that a beautiful picture? Isn't that a beautiful picture of what God does and the way God does things? You know, Naaman discovered that the way down was the way up. God healed Naaman. It wasn't anything wonderful or magical or fountain of youth or healing about the muddy Jordan River. It was humility and obedience, and God healed him. Wow. Isn't that beautiful? Because God works the same today. He says, obey me. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and in due time you'll be lifted up, you'll be exalted. You'll experience what God has for you. But stop trying to write your own formula. Stop trying to figure it out. Just follow. Be his disciple. 
do his will and expect God to bless you. And God will. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Does it make sense, the lion and the lamb thing? Not exactly. Not in my mind it doesn't. But you know in the mind of God it does. And that's what God says. Come and follow me. We find that, that the uh, Naaman was healed. John did not see the lion he expected. Naaman did not get the treatment he expected to receive. And we have a certain set of ex expectations. I, I just, I, I'm, I'm not going to meddle. I'm just going to dabble. Is that all? <laughs> all right. We have a certain set of expectations to receive. Um, and are disappointed when we don't see the lion that we want. We are forced to hear that the bloodstained lamb is the answer. I, I've been, I was born in 1950, so it's easy to compute my age. That was always an advantage for me anyway, because, you know. Uh, I remember being a teenager in the 60s, and... Uh, the message of the gospel at youth conventions was that, that there's a better high in Jesus than drugs can offer you. That was when LSD and acid and marijuana was making the rounds. And, but you know something? Jesus is not a better high of the 60s. He's the bloodstained lamb. I remember in the 70s and 80s where where there's such things like there's a better thrill in Jesus than any adrenaline rush. It's not an adrenaline rush. Jesus is a bloodstained lamb who gave himself for us. We paint pictures that don't always carry the true message. The 21st century web offers a world-class preachers and many lions but the answer is still the bloodstained lamb. There are many lions on the web. And you can take your pick. But the answer is still the bloodstained lamb. That's really where we need to go. Jesus came at his first coming as a lamb. And he will come the second time as a lion when he defeats Satan, the Antichrist. But to come to God during this church age, we come through the bloodstained lamb. That's access point. That's our model. That's our, our role. We come before the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul said, I, I purpose to know, and he talked to the church at Corinth, he writes it in Corinthians, he said, I purpose to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He said, I came not with enticing words of men's wisdom. I find it, I'm of the generation, that I find it easier to quote King James than the New Living that I'm preaching from. But he said, I came not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration of the power of God. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So through it all, the power of the blood of Jesus Christ is that of a bloodstained lamb, but we can get it confused and think it is in the roar of the lion. Heaven's worldwide search gives us 
Jesus the Lamb. In Revelation chapter 5 tells us about the search. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. John writes that Jesus had identified as worthy that they sang and they worshipped in verse 13. He said, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. They sang blessing and glory and honor and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And again in Philippians it says, In the name of Jesus every knee shall bow on heaven and earth and under the earth. What do I do when I look for a lion? but I see a lamb. What do I do when I expect a roar and hear the bleat of a lamb? What happens when I hear announced a mighty lion and I see a humble, puny lamb? What do I do when I expect to meet a king and meet a servant? The grand end of the chapter verse 14, uh, in verse 14 was, was worship, worship. That's what John was drawn into. That's what the elders and the multitude of, uh, of angels were drawn into. And the living beings, they were drawn into that. They fell down and they worshipped God. John was blessed to witness something in heaven that we would be unaware of otherwise. The true occupation of the child of God should be one of praise and worship while we work to spread the gospel and wait for God's promises to come to pass. The true occupation to give God his proper place of glory and honor in our lives, in our hearts, in our church, in our families, in our culture, is to be a place of worship, of worship, of worship. Sometimes it's even good to turn off the music that you have in your, in your media player and worship God and worship Him alone and sense His presence so that it is not something that is endorphin-inspired as opposed to the presence of the Holy Spirit-inspired. Are you with me this morning? You know what I'm saying this morning. You understand what I'm saying. And, 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 and there is a beauty, a beauty in fellowship. There is a wonder in coming together as the body of Jesus Christ. But oh, there is still that place where you enter into your prayer closet or into your closet privately and seek the face of God. And you come before the throne room of the universe and God by his Holy Spirit pours into your heart, into your life when you were lifted and elevated. And there is the wonder of the beauty of the presence of the living God, and we worship him in spirit and in truth. Hallelujah. We see that John, John wept. There was, there was a, a place in heaven. There was no one. The revelation of the Lamb had not yet come. Uh, the Lamb paid the price for, for sin. There's no special way to reach our families for Christ except the way of the blood-stained Lamb. Uh, God, help us to face sin. Ask for forgiveness with a repentant heart. Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and let the blood of Jesus Christ cleanse from all sin. I praise God with Paul that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first, but also to the Gentile. Aren't you glad? I don't know. I, I think I'm a Gentile. I really don't. I'm, I'm, but I'm an adopted into the family of the Lord. Amen? into the tame olive tree. I said, praise the Lord. So you're adopted in, and we're able to worship God in spirit and in truth. So we face our sin. We ask for forgiveness. If sin can send you to hell, well, I'll tell you, the Lamb is a place. Hallelujah. A place where the redeemed, the ransomed of the Lord, are cleansed and made whole and set free. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. 
the revelation of Jesus the Lamb, for the lion has not yet come. The only way of salvation is the way of the blood-stained lamb. In verse 4, John wept. Just review a couple of things. There was no one to open the scroll. Just want to review a couple of things in conclusion. There was nobody to open the scroll. It was there, God's hand, but there was no one to open the scroll. John wept. There was no superhero to resolve the great mystery. But one of the 24 elders said, Stop weeping. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir of David's throne, has won the victory, and he is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. The lamb that had been slaughtered was now standing. Verse 6, I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the, the 24 elders. We see the lamb that had been slaughtered was now standing. I think that's significant. He wasn't laying down. He was standing. He was alive. That's a picture of the resurrection. We serve a resurrected lamb. Not one who paid the penalty for sin and satisfied the just demands of a holy God and is in its case closed, but he paid the price and he rose again from the dead. He is a lamb standing. Hallelujah. Standing. Standing. Still with the appearance of being slaughtered, but standing there. Hallelujah. Later the elders... And the living beings, it says they worship the Lamb. Tears became worship, or they become worship when there is a revelation of Jesus. Tears of regret, tears of frustration, tears of disappointment. You could even say tears of repentance. But tears become worship when Jesus enters the picture. Hallelujah. Because the tears were there. Uh, the lamb came and they began to worship. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. They bowed before the one who was slaughtered and they worshiped. Uh, this morning, as we were in the house of God with the brothers and sisters in Christ, oh, let us catch a glimpse of the lamb who has an appearance of being slaughtered and yet is standing and is the lamb of God and who says, come and follow me and be my disciple. Who says, yes, worship. Yes, this is appropriate. Yes, this is good. But somehow, if we're looking in the wrong direction and we don't see the Lamb, and we don't see the cross, there's something that is lost in worship. If we don't see Jesus for who he is, then we don't worship the way we could. God set us free in worship. Help us to see Jesus for who he is. Help us to recognize that it's not just a better high 
or a greater adrenaline rush or something of that nature that we define by carnal means and through our natural mind. Because spiritual things are foolishness unto the natural man, and they don't understand them. But oh, as we see Jesus, as we see Jesus, as we see Jesus, he becomes the reason that we worship. He becomes the motive that we worship. He's the game changer. He's the one that is the life changer. He's the one that is able to transform our hearts, our lives, from the inside out because he knows who you are. He knows where you've been. He knows what you are. And he loves you. And he took your place on the cross of Calvary. And those blood stains on the Lamb of God were for you and they were for me. And he invites us to worship him in spirit and in truth. Heaven began to sing worthy. The angels began to sing. The multitudes or the living translation says millions of them that were there in that throne room began to worship God and worship the Lamb. They began to worship the Lamb. The elders bowed down and those who were around them. It doesn't say that John did, but I can't imagine that he didn't. He was not just a spectator. He was a participator because there were real tears that he shed. I suggest to you this morning that the invitation for us is to worship God truly, wondrously, powerfully because he reaches out to us and he invites us to come into his presence. It says they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll, to break its seals and open it. For you are slaughtered. You were slaughtered and your blood has written ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Wow. 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 Naaman the leper, after he was healed, worshipped the God of Israel. He even took a donkey load of mud home with him so he could worship God on Israeli soil. God, help us. Hallelujah. Jesus, Jesus, we worship you. Jesus, we worship you in spirit and in truth. The team is coming, the worship team, and they're going to lead us in song. But could we stand together this morning? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, I, I just, I looked at this. I told my wife, I said, I struggled all week. We had uh, two, two, this is one of those two messages I prepared for this morning. And um, uncertain and unsure. But I know this much, that God, I believe that God has directed us and, and as I, uh, that we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. This morning you say, Pastor, in my heart I find that Jesus, that worshiping God is one of those, I'm not a worshiper. You know, that's, that's the phrase we hide behind. I'm not a worshiper. You know, all of heaven and all of creation is invited to worship the Lord. Amen? So I would challenge you this morning that whatever it is that you use to satisfy that part that's missing, that you set it aside and say, well, 
I can't sing. I can't do like any, I'm too self-conscious to raise my hands. I can't do anything like other people do. You know something? I would invite you to forget about other people. And I would invite you to see Jesus. You know, John wept at the absence of the Lamb before the announcement, before the revelation. But today, we have the revelation. And his name is Jesus. And he loves you. And he says, will you worship me? You feel in your spirit and your heart to come and gather around this altar and worship God. But there are those here this morning who say there's a barrier between myself and God. And I know it's sin and I know God is putting his finger on it. Then I want to invite you to come too. And you lay that down at this altar because Jesus shed his blood so you could be cleansed and set free from that sin. Praise the Lord. So come. If the Holy Spirit is putting his finger on something in your life or in your heart, don't hang on to it because it'll become a barrier. Surrender it to Jesus. Repent of it and call on his name. Praise God. Could you lead us? Come to this altar as we sing.